0: If you have your Bible, I'm going to throw you a curveball this morning. You ready for the curveball? John chapter 3. Just go there. John chapter 3. Whoop, there goes my glasses. It has been a, a busy Christmas season. I don't know about you, and of course, we've got um, If y'all read the weather report for next week, yeah. it is going to be some kind of cold around this place. I've heard everything from 8 degrees to to 5 degrees to 10 degrees. It's going to be real cold. Real cold. So I'm going to try to warm you up this morning. Amen? All right. Well, remember, we as a church, and it's so strange having the choir behind me today. I'm going to have to turn and preach at you occasionally just to be sure that you don't miss out. Right? Amen? Remember that we are a church back... um, Ago, almost four years ago now, uh, our staff got together and, at that time and prayed and, and tried to seek the heart of God on what He would have us be as a church, and we came up with this, with this phrase that's kind of our vision statement, and the vision statement is that we are a church that is driven by the Word of God, transformed by the Spirit of God, and sent by the Son of God to make disciples of all nations. And so everything that we try to do, Parkway Baptist Church, is, is, is geared around that. Now, we want to raise up men and women and students that they want to be disciples and they want to make disciples. If we don't do that, if we don't do it the way that Jesus told us to do it, we will fail. Uh, We have to do this the way that that Jesus told us to do it. And so, it's not about me making a name for myself or, or Parkway Baptist making a name for itself or any of us making a name for ourselves. It's about making the name of who known. Jesus. That's why we're doing this today in song and in word. We want people to know who he is, what he has done for us, the fact that he is still on his throne, that he loves us, that he wants us to be, to be healed uh, in his love and in his great mercy. And so, uh, Christmas time, that's what it's all about. That's why we decorate this sanctuary. That's why we learn special songs for cantata or whatever we… I never have… I don't even know what that word means. Anybody know what cantata means? What does that mean? Songs with their, songs. Okay, gotcha. I'm going to show my ignorance again. I just, I'm, I'm good at that. I'm good at that as, as a Baptist preacher from Mississippi. Occasionally I show my ignorance. Just let you know I'm a humble guy. Amen. Amen. Uh, next Sunday, we celebrate what is likely the most popular holiday known to humanity in recent years. And what is that holiday? Christmas, Christmas. exactly. Our entire lives are built around it. The world economy depends on it. Retailers build marketing strategies around it, anticipating huge spikes in sales. Children around the world get more excited this time of year every year. Why would that be? Because they get gifts, amen. Because on Christmas, on Christmas, we give one another gifts. And it's fun. Can you amen that? And it's exciting. Families gather together to celebrate. Your crazy brother-in-law actually shows up, amen, he comes, your crazy sister-in-law shows up. Relatives fly across the world to be together. Businesses shut down for a few days so they can be with their families. Most towns decorate their light poles with angels or reindeer. It's really an incredible sight to see and really does make for a more charitable atmosphere in our culture. I believe that with all my heart. And of course, you know, if I'm preaching on a holiday, there's always going to be a, a, a story about Greenville, Mississippi in there, uh, just because that was just the, the glory days of my life as a child, just growing up with, with a full, full, full you know, th- three generations of hazards. That's a scary thought, isn't it? three generations of hazards together at the house. But, but back in the day, our family would converge that morning at 101 Creekmore Road about 9 a.m. in the morning on Christmas morning. Our, my grandparents, my, my mother's uh, parents would would come over and we open presents until about lunchtime and then everybody would would take naps or play with their toys or ride three-wheelers can I get a witness three-wheelers Amen. until we went to Papaw and Mimi's house and then we went to Papaw and Mimi's house that night for Christmas Day dinner and it was just a a wonderful a wonderful time of family and fellowship and I hope I hope that you can relate to at least some of what I'm saying And so, again, I I build you up with all that to to give you this. What, What set all that wonder and amazement and family time and celebration in motion? What set all that in motion? And what set that in motion was the birth of the Savior, Jesus Christ. That's what set that in motion. Jesus Christ, his birth was so important it made historians at the time distinguish the time marker so time has two major distinguishing markers there's bc and then there's what ad bc is before christ ad is very good amen amen so that's how important his life was Now today some people have tried to replace that with bce and ace but It has not completely replaced the original, and I don't think it ever will. So Christmas is about the gift of life. That's what it's about. It's about Jesus. Each of our lives have two very important dates. The date that we are born into the world, that's the day of our birth, and the day we leave this world, and that's the day of our death. And the time in between, we have these precious years. The majority of people have years of, of time, and we call that time life. And God is in complete, complete control of the end dates and everything that's in between, except for the times that you sin. He's not in control of that. Your rebellious nature is in control of that. But He even can use that once you come to Him. He can use that according to 2 Corinthians chapter 1 for his glory, if you will allow him. So we have life because God gave it to us. And God is about life, would you agree with that? God's about life, he is. He's about life, he wants us to live and be joyful and worship him. He wants us to love one another and teach others about who he is and the wonderful blessing of knowing his son Jesus Christ and the indwelling Holy Spirit. My personal belief is that's the entire reason why we're here is to worship and love him and I, I didn't, unfortunately I spent 26 years of my life, 26 years of my life before I realized that. Now thank goodness I'm on the back side of that now. Now I've, 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 I've kind of been serving him about a little bit more than the whole time I was, I was an enemy against him, which gives me great joy to know that. But these two terms, the gift of life, I looked them up in Webster's just to, just cause I did that for you, you might not want it, but I'm gonna give it to you. Webster's Dictionary actually describes a gift as a thing giving willingly to someone without payment or a present. And in Webster's Dictionary, the example that they use actually is a Christmas gift. How about that? The other word, life, had like 20 definitions, if you look that up. It's just, it's long. 20 definitions, all different, different forms. The first couple say the quality that distinguishes a vital and functional being from a dead body… Another one says, a principle or force that is considered to underlie the distinctive, the distinctive quality of animate beings. And number four is the one that I believe Jesus says when he means life, ultimately. We know, we know he gives us life physically, but we know that when we're born, we're born condemned and we're born under the curse. And then when we come to Jesus, he gives us life physically, but he also, more importantly, gives us what? Life eternally. The Spirit of God being put into, literally put into our bodies. And so so definition number four says spiritual existence transcending physical death. So when we think about Christmas, we think about the gift of life. Now I'm going to ask you a question that's going to seem really bizarre for Sunday before Christmas, okay? I just want to prepare you for that. Is everybody ready? Is everybody okay? Okay. All right. Have you ever in your life been bitten by a snake? If you have, would you raise your hand? Micah, you weren't bit by a snake. When that happened? Okay, maybe he was. My son's raised out. the first time I've heard of that. No, no telling what you're gonna. <laughs> just no telling what you're gonna find out when you ask questions <laughs> to the whole congregation. Your son, read, Dad, I got bit by a snake. I didn't have any idea. When when that happened. So if you open your Bible to John chapter three, I want you to hang on to that question and you'll understand why as I get there. I hope Micah does. Amen. So let's look at John chapter three. This is probably one of the most popular chapter and verses in all of Scripture, and you could recite John three sixteen without even thinking about it. But I'm gonna take you on a journey in just a few minutes through this whole through this whole chapter. And it's not gonna be long. You think, oh, we're never gonna get finished. No. We will, trust me. Now, there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. And this man came to Jesus by night and said to him, "'Rabbi, we know that you're a teacher come from God, for no one can do these signs that that you do unless God is with him.' And Jesus answered him, "'Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God.' Nicodemus said to him, "'How can a man be born when he's old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born?' and as Moses lifted up in the, the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up that whoever believes in Him may have eternal life. And here's your scripture, for God so loved the world, why don't you say it with me this morning? For God so loved the world that He gave His only Son that whoever believes in Him should not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send His Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through Him. Whoever believes in Him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. And this is the judgment, and this is the verse you never hear is the tail end of John chapter 3 or this, or 316 when it finishes out this passage. And this is the judgment. We hear that word and we just shut, shut everything out of our minds. The light has come into the world. And people love the darkness rather than the light, because their deeds were evil. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light, lest his deeds should be exposed. But whoever does what is true comes to the light, so that it may be clearly seen that his deeds have been carried out in God. So, let's walk through this for a few minutes this morning, shall we? So, first of all, we see a Jewish leader... A Jewish leader comes to Jesus named Nicodemus. You, you're familiar, those of you that have been in church most of your life, you know his name. You also know that him and Joseph of Arathmia are the ones that, um, that, that, that helped with Jesus' final, uh, final cleansings when he was brought off the cross before he was put in the tomb. We know that. Uh, Nicodemus was um, a Pharisee. He was friendly to Jesus. Uh, we know that from the text. The fact that he's even approaching Jesus shows that there is some amount of of interest in him wanting to maybe help Jesus we we know in the gospels that there's this mounting tension when you look at the, any gospel you look at this there's this mounting tension between the pharisees and Jesus and so I think if you read between the lines, I think, I think Nicodemus, as a Jewish leader, is maybe trying to be a, a goodwill, maybe charitable leader from the Jews, coming to try to understand Jesus a little bit better, maybe to go back to the Sanhedrin, try to explain things, to get them to back off their fever pitch to have Jesus killed. And we see that... Nicodemus, there was, there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews, so this man has got it together, he is known, powerful, all these things. And he comes to Jesus by when? Night. So what does that mean? It means he's probably afraid and he doesn't want to be seen. Because if he goes during the daytime, it's very possible that he will be persecuted by his other f- friends in the, in, the, in the Sanhedrin. Do we know that for a fact? No, but it certainly seems like that that is probably what's going on here, that he comes at night. Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. So that affirms the fact that there's something really special about Jesus, and Nicodemus recognizes that, and he is probably speaking for others that have come to him that have also recognized that. So he goes to him and he says that. And then Jesus almost, almost like, like cuts him off, like just goes straight for the heart of the issue He really doesn't even address, yeah, he doesn't say, yeah, Nicodemus, I I am, I I can work. He doesn't doesn't give, like, any follow-up or explanation. He goes straight to salvation. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. He can't see it. You can't see the kingdom of God unless you're born again. You won't understand all this, Nicodemus, unless you're born again, you gotta, you gotta be born again to see. Nicodemus said, how can a man be born when he is old? Can he, and this, 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 this question, if you haven't heard this a thousand times in this narrative, if, if this was said cold to you when you're trying to say this, it would either be really humorous or really sad. But to us, it just, we just kind of miss it, you know? But he says, how can a man be born when he's old? Can he enter? I mean, this is the nature of Nicodemus' mind, is that he's trying, to, he's trying to fit Jesus talking into an into a earthly, literal mindset instead of thinking about the transcendent and the spiritual and the eternal, which is odd, for a Pharisee, because Pharisees are supposed to have an incredible understanding of the Old Testament prophecies and how the Messiah will fulfill them. They should understand the Ezekiel prophecy, the Jeremiah prophecy, but he is trapped in thinking, how can a man be born again? He can't go back into his mother's womb. Jesus answered, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. So you can't see it if you're not born again. And if you can't see it, you certainly can't do what? Enter it unless you're born again. That which is born of the flesh is flesh. That which is born of the Spirit is is spirit. Something like Jesus saying, there's two different realms here, Jesus is saying. There's two different realms here. There's a, there's a fleshly realm, and that's why you're thinking that you need to go back into your mother's womb to be reborn. And then there's a spiritual realm here, and, and I'm, I'm talking, Jesus is trying to give him some hints. I'm talking to you about the spiritual realm. Flesh is born of flesh, spirit is born of spirit. Do not marvel, don't act bewildered or confused or like, well, what's going on here? Don't, don't marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. The wind, then he goes to this wind example. So he's trying to, to take Nicodemus to something that, that he would understand, which would be the wind. Do you understand the wind? Give me a witness this morning. Do we understand the wind? Somewhat. I mean, we know that it blows, right? We know that. And that's what he says. The wind blows where it wishes. And you hear it sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. So in other words, you don't really control the Spirit. You can't control the Spirit. And see, this is where he's striking at with Nicodemus. He's striking at the issue that a lot of us deal with today as believers in these religious systems that we coexist in. Nothing wrong with religious systems. We have them. They've got good and bad points about them. But with the Jews and with the Pharisees, everything about their life had all become Torah law and temple, Torah law and temple, Torah law and temple, tunnel vision, Torah law, temple. And what Jesus is trying to get him to see is that you can't put the Spirit in a box. You see, they thought they had God in a box. And what was that box called? The temple. They thought that God was in a box. Thought they had him. He's nowhere else, but he's right here in the temple. No, no, God, God and the Spirit, they're like the wind, uncontrollable. Sometimes he's, he's a gentle, easy breeze, like on a hot Sunday afternoon when that, when that little breeze catches your face and dries the sweat off your face. Can I get a witness? Sometimes, sometimes, it's like the hurricane that hit Florida. Sometimes it's in between, but God works, the Spirit works like the wind. And if you're going to be born again, it is a spiritual birth. It's not a fleshly birth. The flesh just kind of charts, kind of charts its own course. It's, it's kind of, but the spirit, as we say, God works in what kind of ways? Yes. So it is with everyone who is born again. Of the spirit, you know, I've often seen in that text many times that you have, you know, believers fit all kind of different molds. You know, I often tell people one of the biggest weaknesses that I have in my life is that I think everybody should be as excited about the kingdom of God as I am, and my experience is that's just not true. But 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 God has corrected me on that through the years. Okay, because just because they're not wound up and excitable and and like me doesn't mean they're not excited about the kingdom. The Holy Spirit deals with some people, and they are meek, and they are quiet, but yet they live out their faith strongly. Other, other strongly, other people are loud and bold, and they live out their faith strongly. So the Holy Spirit of God is the same Holy Spirit, but each individual person God has engineered specifically, designed specifically and perfectly for them to carry out the purpose by which he has called them. And I've really had to struggle with that. I really have, because I really think everybody should be as excited about God and the Word of God as I am, and it's just not the case. But, but, I'm, but, I'm, but I'm judging by the flesh. I'm not, I can't see into their minds and into their hearts, so I don't truly know how excited they are about it, right? Right. So Nicodemus says to him in verse 9, how can these things be? Now, here, here is the question that Jesus answered that should have left him with a little pain, okay? Here's, here's, kind, of a, here's kind of a formative, corrective, corrective discipline that, that Jesus gives Nicodemus, verse 10. Are you the teacher of Israel, yet you do not understand these things? So what Jesus is saying is, is how could Nicodemus, a Pharisee, a ruler of the Jews, how could he have missed out something on a theme in the Old Testament as clear and as pronounced as the spiritual rebirth of the nation of Israel? How could he have missed that? Because it's there. I'm not going to name all the prophecies for you today, but but those of you that that know it's there, it's there. Ezekiel, it's, it's all through the Old Testament. And so Jesus is pushing him on that. How can you be the teacher of Israel and not know that there is a time where there is going to be a different era in the life of Israel and that the Holy Spirit is actually going to be, your heart of flesh, your heart of stone is going to be turned into a heart of flesh. There's going to be a new covenant, not the old one that I gave your fathers in the past, but a new covenant that's coming. And I told you there, I was going to send you a Messiah that's going to usher that in. You as the teacher of Israel. No wonder they missed him. Amen. No wonder they missed him. Verse 11. Truly, truly, I say to you, we speak of what we know. Now, when he's saying we there, who's he talking about? He's talking about the Trinitarian God. He's talking about the Father, the Son, and the Spirit. That's who he's talking about, we. Truly, truly, I say to you, we speak of what we know and bear witness to what we have seen but you do not receive our testimony by and large the jewish people did what to christ rejected him jesus was the second person in the trinity that was sent by god yahweh of the old testament He was the one that was with them through the wilderness wanderings. He was the water from the rock. He was everything, the manna from heaven. He was everything from the Old Testament, but they missed him when he came. Missed him. That's what he's talking about right here. If I have told you earthly things, now what's he talking about there? Just back up in the text. What did he just say the spirit was like? He just said the spirit was like what? The wind. That's what he means when he says that. If I have told you earthly things, meaning wind, and you do not believe, how can you believe if I tell you heavenly things? In other words, if I'm using simple parables about everyday life while I'm trying to explain to you who I am and what, what, what this whole kingdom of God is, how, how can I go to the heavenly realm and give you examples? If you're lost on the earthly examples, there's no way I, there's no way I can help you with heavenly examples is what Jesus is saying. Then he says, no one has ascended into heaven except he who descended from heaven, the Son of Man, meaning (laughs) I am a a one-of-a-kind. Give me a witness, amen? One-of-a-kind. Then, now, Christ does something very weird because I asked you a question. Have any of you ever been what? Snake bit. Snake bit. Christ now points to a time in Israel's history that is very interesting for him to do at this particular point in this chapter of John 3. And I'm going to go so far to say, I believe that this verse hinges, is, is the hinge in this whole story. Whenever, whenever you're reading about Jesus Christ or he's giving you a teaching, whenever he cites an Old Testament precedent, typically that's the hinge of what he's trying to say. That's what he's trying to get through because he always affirms the Old Testament. So he says, and as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the son of man be lifted up that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. Now now as gentiles in the 21st century reread that, and if you don't know the Old Testament, you have no idea what he's talking about. No idea. You would think that's the weirdest thing Jesus could ever say. What does he mean by that? Well, I'm not going to take you through the whole episode of Numbers 21, but if you go back to Numbers 21, Israel is in the wilderness wanderings. And they have come upon a Canaanite king named Arad. Arad at first beat him a little bit, then they prayed God deliver him, and they they conquered him. Then right after that happens, after this huge victory, they begin to grumble. If you can imagine the Israelites are a Baptist grumbling, amen. Um, They begin to grumble again. Why have you brought us here? Take us back where? Egypt. Egypt. And when that happened, the Bible says God sent fiery serpents to bite them, and many of them died. Mm. Then, all of a sudden, Israel came to repentance. Can you imagine that? Fiery serpents biting you, God help us, amen? They go back to Moses, they cry out to Moses, and God tells Moses to do something very weird, very weird. God tells Moses to take and fashion a bronze serpent and put it on a pole and lift it up over Israel in the pole tall enough that all Israel can see this bronze serpent on this pole. And if they will look upon the bronze serpent, guess what will happen? They will live. God, Jesus, gave the gift of life while Israel was under judgment and receiving death. God gave them the gift of life because of their repentance and crying out to God. So they were getting bit by snakes. He puts this bronze serpent on the pole, lifts it up, and Israel is healed if they will only look upon the bronze serpent. Now, if this is not a reference to Genesis 3, I don't know what is. I don't know what is. Have you ever heard... We used to joke around this a lot back when I was a kid in the Delta. When, um, if there was a, you know, somebody that was just constantly in trouble all the time, I'm gonna wake y'all up a little bit, constantly in trouble all the time, just constantly in trouble all the time. Whole town's talking about them, they're just their reputations being, being trashed. And, you know, daddy and I are talking in the car, Dad, what about so and so? Yeah, yeah, son, that, that, that poor old dude, he's just snake bit. You ever heard somebody say that? What does that mean? What he meant by that was, was it everything that God did, everything the person did, everything he touched, everything he got involved with, anything he was involved in eventually got led to where? Destruction or problems. Snake bit. That's what that means. Spiritually speaking, my friends, spiritually speaking, we have all been snake bit. I believe for the first time in my life going through this, I've gone through this passage a thousand times. I believe that is the spiritual, the depth of the spiritual reality that Jesus is giving us in this for the Gentile church of today is, is this message. Just like Israel of old was in rebellion and God sent the snakes, just like today, we are still snake bit and under the curse of God. And that is why we must have the Lord Jesus Christ because we're snake bit. And the only anti-venom is to look upon the gift of life provided in belief in the Son of God. Look upon this bronze servant if you've been bitten and live Believe upon the Lord Jesus Christ, you shall have eternal life. Look upon the bronze serpent, you shall live. That is the biggest, there is no telling how many Israelites died thinking quietly to themselves, that is the biggest bunch of nonsense I have ever heard in my life. I will not look at that serpent. And what happened to them? They died. Not humble enough, not humble enough to believe and look up at the bronze serpent and live. Not humble enough to look upon the Lord Jesus Christ and say, I am a sinner, I need Jesus. the gift of life. For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. So keeping with what Jesus said before, the Son of Man must Be lifted up as the bronze serpent was, so that we may believe upon him and be saved. So we are snake bit. The human race is snake bit by by the serpent. What does that mean, snake bit? It means that. The same thing that happened to Adam and Eve, they doubt God's word to be true. And when you doubt God's word to be true, you have been bitten by the snake. And the venom has polluted your heart and mind. And when you're born, this venom is carried down with you and the only anti-venom for it is to believe upon the Lord Jesus Christ and be saved. So we are snake bit, we are perishing, we are condemned already and we must believe in the gift of the Son of God that is lifted up on the cross to die for the sins of the world. That's Christmas. That's Christmas. We celebrate his birth at Christmas. But I can promise you, he didn't stay a baby, amen? He didn't stay a baby. He was born, you hear theologians say this all the time, he was born to what? Die, and to live again. Verse 19, and this is the judgment. So this is, when you look back at all this, Jesus says, this, this is the, the, the overarching truth of everything that is happening. R- listen to this statement, and this is the judgment. The light has come into the world. Who's the light? Jesus Christ. And people loved the darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light lest his works should be exposed. But whoever does what is true comes to the light so that it may be clearly seen that his works have been carried out by God. Anybody been playing around on Facebook Marketplace much lately? I quit. I'm just kidding. I didn't quit. I was, I was looking the other day. Something I've noticed on Facebook Marketplace, it is, it, is, it is 80 to 90% scam. Would y'all agree with that? 80 to 90% scam. You place something out there for sale, and most of what you get are people that are trying to get your personal information, trying to get your personal information so they can, they can dig into your life a little bit and steal your identity or steal from you. Well, I, I've learned some, some strategies since I've, since I've been on Facebook Marketplace. And what I find is, is that when somebody is honest, you can tell that, that they're not afraid to, act, to answer your questions directly and forthcomingly. But if somebody's got something to hide, they'll, they'll answer, say they're interested, they let it die for, for, for a while. They want, and I'll put five questions out there, and they won't answer. Then they'll wait, and they'll come back. They'll ask another question. And I have found that they are deceitful in the way that they try to manipulate the type of information that is put out there. It's because their works are evil. It's because they don't want to come into the light. I don't know if you've ever worked with somebody that avoids accountability. They just avoid accountability. You can't avoid accountability. If you have nothing to hide, there's no reason to be accountable by anybody. If you are living a transparent, open, truthful life, there's nothing to hide. That's what Jesus is saying. Those will come into the light that will accept the truth of the gospel. Those that won't remain where? Darkness. Christmas is about the light coming into the world to free us all that will hear his voice and say yes to Jesus. Final passage, Galatians verse 313 says, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us, for it is written, cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree, so that in Christ Jesus the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles, so that we might receive the promised spirit through faith, that is found in one and one place only, and that is through the Lord Jesus Christ, who was born in that manger, born of a virgin, born to die. Lived his life sinless, went to the cross voluntarily, substitutionary death for my sin and yours in the world. Died on the cross, put in the grave, came out of the grave three three days later in a body unlike he had before, the body very similar to what we will have when we go to him. And he is calling you. The offer has been there from the day he walked the earth to come, take his yoke upon you because it is light. Let us pray. Lord, thank you so much for your love for us I thank you for this Christmas season, this, uh, this musical today, the, the testimony of, of your son, Jesus Christ, that has been so clearly portrayed. And Father, I know we have songs left to sing, so I pray that you would keep our worshipful attitudes through the rest of this service today. And we ask this in Jesus' name, amen.